Our scripture reading will be taken this morning from Joshua chapter 4, verses 4 through 7. Joshua chapter 4, verses 4 through 7. If you're using the Pew Bible, it will be on page 196. Verse 4, Then Joshua called the twelve men whom he had appointed from the children of Israel, one man from every tribe. And Joshua said to them, Cross over before the ark of the Lord your God into the midst of the Jordan, and each one of you take up a stone on his shoulder according to the number of tribes of the children of Israel, that this may be a sign among you when your children ask in time to come, saying, What do these stones mean to you? Then you shall answer them that the waters of the Jordan were cut off before the ark of the covenant of the Lord. When it crossed over the Jordan, the waters of the Jordan were cut off, and these stones shall be for a memorial to the children of Israel forever. It is an honor to get to be with you and to spend time worshiping with you this morning. We've been looking forward to it. Uh, Catherine's been looking forward to it as, as well. They'll be at the second service, but we're just glad to get to spend time with this church family. Uh, I enjoy getting to keep up with everything that's going on here and getting to see all the good work you're doing and, and getting to hear uh, just in various places, whether I'm taking a, a class somewhere or talking to people uh, that, about the work that Mount Juliet is doing. Uh, it's something that's an incredible encouragement to me and, and you have been a blessing to us. We could spend the rest of the morning just listing the ways you've blessed our family. Uh, I know that your influence is still with us because there's still, every time it gets to vacation Bible school time and we sing, if you're happy and you know it, Luke will still look at me wondering why there's not a verse about if you're happy and you know it, do the David Shannon. He doesn't understand why, why every place doesn't do that, that version of if you're happy and you know it. But uh, we are so grateful uh, for you all. And especially today, as I know this afternoon, uh, there will be a, a special uh, ceremony honoring uh, Pat Huddleston, who served for secretary here in such a wonderful way. And, and we won't be able to be there for that. But I do just want to say publicly how much we appreciate uh, the Huddleston family and how much they've meant to us. Uh, when I was a youth intern here that summer during college, I stayed with the Huddlestons. And that was a tremendous blessing. I got to know them and, and got to enjoy Miss Pat's cooking, which was wonderful. Uh, but also I, I found out that my, my parents were very excited once they got to know the Huddlestons that I would be staying with them. In fact, I would call mom and she would ask to speak to Pat instead of talk to me. So that's kind of how I knew uh, they got along really well. Uh, but this Pat has just always been an incredible example of Christian encouragement uh, to me and I know to you as well. And so it's just a blessing uh, to get to be with you. As I thought about what we could spend our time on this morning, uh, a lesson that would challenge us and hopefully encourage us, I thought we would spend some time in Joshua chapters 3 and 4. So if you haven't already, I'd invite you to turn in your Bibles. We'll be reading passages from both of these chapters, thinking about what it means to see the memorial that is mentioned here. My freshman year of college, when I was walking from Old Chapel Hall, which was a building where our chorus practiced, across towards the library, I passed in, in front of sort of a, an entrance to where the security was at that time and sort of the back of a dorm. There was just a pile of bricks 
that was on the ground. And many of those bricks were covered with dirt and, and sort of partially submerged. And I wondered why someone would leave just a pile of bricks right here on campus. I thought it was kind of odd. It seems sort of like an eyesore. It seems like you should move those or, or take care of those. And then I saw there was a historical marker that was right nearby. And I, I went over to read what the marker said. And I found out it wasn't just a pile of bricks. It was the remains of an underground baptistry that was dug there and was used to baptize individuals in the 1930s and 40s that wanted to be baptized on campus. Students that wanted to be baptized, they made a baptistry for that to happen. There are even pictures that uh, they've uncovered in the archives of individuals being baptized in this baptistry. Now, when I walked by it, it was just really a pile of bricks. But to the people whose lives were changed because they became Christians there, to their children and their grandchildren, it was a lot more than just a pile of bricks. It was something meaningful. You know, if we walk by something and don't know the story behind it, sometimes we can miss the meaning. Have you ever thought about what it means to walk into a church building? And to realize when I, we walk into a church building, we're not just walking into a, a building made of bricks and mortar, but we're walking into evidence that there were brothers and sisters in Christ who prayerfully and, and carefully thought out the best way for the church to serve God. And they sacrificed so that there could be a building where worship could take place. When we walk into a church building, we're not just walking into an ordinary building. We're seeing a memorial of faith of those who've gone before us. And if I just walk by something and I don't know the story behind it, I might miss the meaning. You probably have some items in your home that if we were to walk through your house, they would look like just ordinary items, just ordinary average things that you would have around a house, but they mean something to you. There's a sentimental value. There's a significance there. And if we don't know the story behind it, we'll miss the meaning. And in the west of Jordan, there would have been a pile of stones. Now, these would have been larger stones, probably larger than the ones in this uh, picture or in this next picture, as you think about what it would be like to have them piled up. But to anyone who walked by, that would seem like just a pile of stones. Why are they stacked on top of each other? Why are they there? But if we know the story behind it, we know that's much more than just a pile of stones. That's a memorial to what God did for his people, to the promise he made and the way he delivered on that promise. And I'd like for us to read about what happens in Joshua chapter 3. And as we read through this uh, incredible env envision what happened as they walk across the Jordan River, it's an incredible passage, but it also is an incredible reminder of God's faithfulness to his promises. And the Hebrew word for cross over is used several times in here. God's people are finally crossing over into the promised land. And so if you would start reading with me in verse 14 of Joshua chapter three. So when the people set out from their tents to pass over the Jordan with the priests bearing the Ark of the Covenant before the people, and as soon as those bearing the Ark had come as far as the Jordan and the feet of the priest bearing the Ark were dipped in the brink of the water, now the Jordan overflows all its banks throughout the time of harvest. The waters coming down from above stood and rose up in a heap very far away at Adam, the city that is beside Zarethan. And those flowing down toward the Sea of the Arabah, the Salt Sea, were completely cut off and the people passed over opposite Jericho. 
Now the priest bearing the ark of the covenant of the Lord stood firmly on dry ground in the midst of the Jordan. And all Israel was passing on, over on dry ground until all the nation finished passing over the Jordan. It's incredible to think about what it would be like to come up to the Jordan River. And you see a picture of it here to give us a little bit of a visual of the Jordan. But at this time, as the text tells us, it was overflowing. It was at flood stage. And so if you're trying to cross over at flood stage and you've got all of these people that are coming in the Ark of the Covenant of the Lord. And then just to see as they went to step in, God stepped in and parted those, stopped the waters from flowing. They could walk through on dry ground. It's an incredible reminder that God is faithful to his promises. God keeps his promises to us. And as we think about that, I just want to remind us this morning, as we look at this next slide, that God is faithful to keep his promises. He delivers on those promises. And in a world where we look around and see uh, uncertainty in uh, affairs overseas and things that are happening in our culture and we worry about the future, it's good to be reminded God delivers on his promises, isn't it? It's good for us to know that. And there are a few different ways the text shows us God delivering on his word. God delivers on his promises even when it takes a while. If you remember the promise to Abraham to enter into this promised land, that he would be a nation and have land, that began all the way in Genesis chapter 12. And in Genesis chapters 12 and 13 and 14 and 15 and 17, God is repeating promises to Abraham over and over again. And those promises are tied with land. It wasn't just that the Israelites were looking for a place to be, looking for a place to spread out. They were looking for a specific land. It would be hard for us to overestimate the importance in the ancient world of a certain area of land. That became your identity. That was your family identity. And so for Israel to come back to this promised land, this wasn't just anywhere. This was the land God had promised to Abraham. And this was the land in which they were going to inherit. And it had taken a long time to get there. We find out in the book of Exodus that they spent 400 years in Egypt as slaves. And then even as Moses delivers them out of, of Egypt and is following God's leading and comes to the promised land, instead of going in, there's some faithlessness that takes place. They doubt that they could go in and, and take over the land. And because of that, they wander an additional 40 years. Can you imagine waiting that long for something? We don't like to wait very long for anything, but can you imagine years and years and years and years and finally, even though it seemed to take a while, they were going to enter into this promised land. I think that's one of the reasons God designed a memorial for them to remember that, those stones that were there. It's similar to what he did when he institutes the Passover after they left Egypt, that people would be able to grow up asking their parents, why is this here? Why do we have this pile of stones over here? And he even gives them a, a script that they can use. He even says, here's what you say when your children ask you that question. It's important for us to have memorials that allow us to explain our faith. A few years ago, Kenda Creasy Dean wrote a book entitled Almost Christian. And it was based on a, an extensive survey of young adults. And one of the things that was discovered as this book was written is that when children were interviewed, and when I say children, I'm thinking about adolescence even, and even on up into the teenage years, when they were interviewed to try to articulate their faith, they had a hard time doing it. It wasn't that they weren't articulate. They could speak about several different subjects, but describing what they believed was a real challenge. 
And it reminded me of the importance of teaching our young people so that they can articulate, they can say what they believe. And so maybe I need to create some memorials around my household. Maybe there are some, some routines and some traditions that I need to begin so that when children ask me, why are we doing this? I get an opportunity to teach and help them articulate that faith. And a reminder that we are connected as Christians, as servants of God, to those people who went before us generations ago. And God is faithful to his promises. Even when it takes a while, God is faithful to his promises. We also find out that God's faithful to his promises here, even when there is a change in leadership. You may remember that at the beginning of Joshua, Joshua is now stepping into the role of leader of Israel. He's been the second in command and serving alongside Moses, and now he's taking charge. And even the book of Joshua begins in Joshua chapter 1 in verse 2 with an announcement that the Lord gives to Joshua. He says in verse 2, Moses, my servant is dead. Now therefore arise, go over this Jordan, you and all this people, into the land I'm giving to them, to the people of Israel. That's how the book of Joshua begins. Moses isn't here anymore. Moses is dead, but God's plan for Israel was not. And now Joshua is going to step forward and lead. Now remember, we've had 40 years of wandering up until this point. God had used Moses in the plagues in Egypt. God had used Moses to part the Red Sea. God had used Moses in order to have water in the middle of a desert. And Moses had been the one that explained God's plan for manna from heaven and quail. Can you imagine what it would be like to follow a leader like Moses? To follow someone for whom this generation had been used to for 40 years, their leader. And now Joshua has to step up. Just look at the way that Moses is described in the book of Deuteronomy. At the end of Deuteronomy chapter 34, beginning in verse 10. And there has not arisen a prophet since in Israel like Moses, whom the Lord knew face to face, none like him for all the signs and the wonders that the Lord sent him to do in the land of Egypt, to Pharaoh and to all his servants and to all the land and for all the mighty power and all the great deeds of terror that Moses did in the sight of all of Israel. Think about that description. There has not been a prophet like him and now Joshua has to step up and fill those shoes. How would you feel if you were in that situation? What would be the temptation? Would the temptation be before any big decision to sort of see what everybody else thought? You know, I, I'm new at being the leader. Maybe I should see what some of the influencers think. Maybe I should, I should look around and maybe I should let fear dictate my actions. But Joshua doesn't do that. Joshua takes God at his word. And even though he's following an incredible leader, he steps up and by following God, notice what happens. After everything takes place in Joshua chapter four, notice the way we see uh, Joshua treated by God. After all this happens, we find out in verse 14, on that day, the Lord exalted Joshua in the sight of all Israel so that they revered him just as they had revered Moses all the days of his life. I think there's a principle there. Joshua was in a difficult position. He was following a well-known, established leader. But as long as Joshua served God, God took care of the rest. As long as Joshua wasn't so concerned about his own status that he was willing to do his own thing, when he submitted his will to God, God exalted him. If I'm wanting to serve God, as long as I follow him, God will take care of everything else. 
If I'm concerned about what other people think, if I'm concerned about what my status might be, I'm going to head in the wrong direction. But if I'm serving God, God will take care of everything else. And that's what he did for Joshua. Doesn't mean that Joshua wouldn't have problems with the children of Israel or that the children of Israel would be perfect. It just means Joshua had his priorities where they needed to be. And even if there's a change in leadership, God will still deliver on his promises. I think that's instructive for congregations as we think about the servants and various congregations of elders and deacons. It's, it's instructive if we want to try to be leaders in our families and examples to others to understand if I'm serving God, God will be faithful. And so we see his faithfulness once again that God delivers on his promises. We also find out from this passage that God delivers on his promises even when things seem overwhelming. Just think about what it would be like for Joshua to announce his plan to the people of Israel. We're going across the Jordan. I can just imagine there would have been whispers about, well, this is in its flood stage. Doesn't he know that? Doesn't he know what's going to happen? Because it wasn't until they were prepared to walk through the Jordan that God stepped in and had dry ground they could walk across. They had to be willing to obey. And it would have seemed overwhelming. But we can hold on to God's promises in the middle of overwhelming times. I think that's encouraging. As Christians, we've received a lot of promises from God. We can flip through the pages of the New Testament and find promises God has given to us. And the question we have to ask ourselves is, can I hold on to those even when life seems overwhelming? In Matthew 11, when Jesus tells us that his yoke is easy, his burden is light. Do I really believe that promise? Am I willing to hold on to that even when life seems overwhelming? Or when Paul would write to the church at Ephesus in Ephesians 1 and verse 3, and he would say that all spiritual blessings are found in Christ. Am I really willing to hold on to that principle? Even when I'm getting a lot of different messages from the culture around me. Or in Mark chapter 8, when Jesus says that those who lose his, their life for his sake will find it. Do I really believe that? Do I believe that I, I would totally give everything I have to God? Those are promises. And even when things press in and seem overwhelming and we're asking ourselves, this doesn't look like it's going to make sense and I don't think I can handle it, God's given us promises to hold on to. And the question is whether or not we're going to hold on to them. God delivers on his word. He delivers on his promises. We see a great example of this after they cross the Jordan. Because what is standing next in their way is the city of Jericho. And we sing the song sometimes, or you've heard it sung, that Joshua fought the battle of Jericho. But it's not a battle like we'd normally think of, because God gives them instructions that aren't to march in and attack the wall, but are to march around the wall. And after you follow God's instructions in the way you march around the wall day after day, then blowing trumpets when the time comes. That sounds like an odd battle plan. And yet even when they looked at a walled city that would have seemed overwhelming to this group of Israelites, God was with them and he delivered on his promises. What they had to do was obey. Because God delivers on his promises when we follow him. If I'm faithful to God, God is going to be faithful to me. It's profound for us to realize that it's a simple truth, but it's one sometimes we have a hard time grasping. We live in a world where complete and total devotion to God and following him isn't always the highest priority. 
I was driving back from officiating a wedding a while back and I stopped at a gas station to, to get some gas and as I was waiting in line to pay, I was still wearing a shirt and tie from the wedding that I had just been to and a man behind me struck up a, a conversation and shared with me a lot about his life and so I was just sort of sitting and standing and listening and, and finally he said, wait a minute, he noticed my tie and he said, are you a lawyer or something? Which I guess if you're wearing a tie on a Saturday, that makes you a lawyer or something. I said, well, no, uh, no, I'm, I'm a minister just coming back from a wedding. And he said, you're a minister. He said, I can't believe that. I may have to call you sometime. And his next statement I thought was telling. He said, you know, I need a little Jesus every once in a while. And I thought about that. And I got in my car and drove home and I thought about that statement. I need a little Jesus. Don't we live in a world that would love to have just a little? Just a, just a little Jesus, a little bit of faith. It's part of a, a diversified portfolio. You know, I'm not going to put my investments all in one place, but I might have just a little bit of faith and a little bit of religion, and we'll mix that in with everything else I'm doing, and then that'll be okay, and I'll, have, I'll be a well-rounded person. And yet time after time in Scripture, I come face to face with a God who demands complete and total devotion, and it's not just a little bit of faith. It took more than just a little bit of faith for the people of Israel to be willing to step into the Jordan River. And what an incredible picture with the priests who have the Ark of the Covenant, which was so closely associated with God and with His presence. And they're the ones who go first. And Israel follows God. That's who's leading them. That's who's following them. That's who, that's who they're following. That's who they're dedicated after. And when they do that, God delivers on His promises to them. Submission and, and obedience and total devotion aren't popular ideas for us to think about. We like to be in control. And yet if I want to serve God, God's promises are tied to my obedience. A little bit is not just, is just not enough. I need to be willing to totally be devoted to Him. I find it interesting that generations later in 1 Samuel 4, the people would try to carry the Ark of the Covenant into battle against the Philistines. But their relationship with God wasn't right, and so it didn't help them. The Philistines still defeated them. It wasn't just about having a lucky charm. It was about having a relationship with God. And so this morning, I need to ask myself, is my relationship with God what it needs to be? Am I completely and totally devoted to Him in a way that's more than, than just a little bit of obedience? but an obedience that is completely dedicated to serving Him. The good news this morning is, if I haven't made that decision, if you haven't made that decision to submit your will to God's, the promise of the gospel is that because God sent Jesus and because of His sacrifice and His death, burial, and resurrection, we can have eternal life as well. And that's a promise from God who delivers on His promises. If I turn my life over to Him, if I confess His name, if I turn my life around, if, I'm, if I put him on in baptism, I can walk in that promise. We also find out in Scripture that when we come to him with concerns, asking for forgiveness, he's faithful to forgive us. And if we're walking in the light, as John would write in 1 John chapter 1, we can have that cleansing of our sins. And if you need to come back and, and get your walk where it needs to be, God will deliver on that promise as well. God is faithful to his promises. And this morning, as we've looked at this pile of stones, let's remember that. Let's remember a memorial to a God who takes care of his people. And if there's a way you need to make your life right and need to restore your faith in God, 
please come and let us know as we stand and as we